0: A Ratio Marketing Podcast.
1: The personas are what I find differentiating on analytics, what I would call pull versus push. Um, I have many executives who are convinced that the data is right and they just want the answer. Tell me the three physicians in my community I need to go talk to this afternoon that are gonna significantly impact my revenue and the ability for me to continue to live out my mission.
0: Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial?
1: Someone you could call to validate your product market fit.
0: Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the healthcare market matrix. Greetings, everyone. And along with the team at Ratio, I would like to welcome you to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm your host, John Farkas, and we are getting ready to dive headlong into the world of healthcare data and analytics with our guest today, who, from my vantage point, is at least one of the kings, if not the king of the topic, J. Todd Featherling. I, I first got to know Todd when he, was the, when he was leading the Nashville Technology Council, but I learned quickly that he carries a deep understanding of and passion for the importance of smart, the smart use of data in healthcare and had that well before it became what I would consider a mainstream conversation. So personally, I don't know anyone who has more comprehensive understanding of that arena than Todd has. And he's been soaking in it for a lot of years. I think for over thirty years he's been in this realm and uh, and now is applying it as the managing director over data and analytics at, and global products at Huron. But before that, he was the founder, CEO, and chief data science at Perception Health, which is which ended up being where um, where I got to know him. Uh, they, they were acquired by Huron in 2021. but prior to that, our worlds intersected most vividly, and I learned the most about his expertise when we helped them uh, brand and position uh, Perception Health. But then before that, he founded another healthcare data science company called Stratasan. And I'm only going part way back. Uh, there's more to the story, um, but you get the picture. It is a passion and a calling to help improve data literacy in healthcare. So,
1: Todd, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. Thank you. It's great to be here with you today, and I love this topic, as you know, and so excited (laughs) to uh, understand what is on people's minds as it relates to healthcare data, and probably more important, the innovation that we're seeing in analytics today.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on in this call, in this subject, I'm I was just at the Becker's conference and the panel discussion that was going on as I was on my way to catch my plane was about data literacy. And uh, some of the folks up on the panel uh, there were bemoaning the the travails of helping uh, the healthcare system into better uh, better use of data. And I know that that's no small part of the mission you've uh, been on for a long time. So eager to dive into that a little bit and to, uh, and, and to get your, your perspectives. But before we do, do take us back a little bit. How did you get on this path, Todd? What it was, the <laughs> uh, talk, talk about the, the journey that led you here.
1: Well, for those uh, native Nashvilleians, I'll probably really enjoy this next story because uh, it's almost like uh, how uh, people get in the music business uh, I was a bartender at Old Charlie's on Murphy's. Road.
0: That's assuming there are such a
1: thing as Nashville natives, you know. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, I was a bartender at uh, Old Charlie's on Murfreesboro Road, and uh, <laughs> I had this opportunity to uh, be a runner in a healthcare data strategic planning firm that was run by Paul Keckley. Many many of people people uh, listening to your podcast will be familiar with Paul. And so this was a company called the Keckley Group, uh, 3100 West End. And so that's how I got my first start into healthcare. They needed somebody with uh, market research uh, background to run statistics on uh, surveys. And that was my major at the University of Tennessee. And so it was, it was a match made in heaven after about two weeks of being a runner. Um, I got my first project, Uh, which was one of the craziest projects I've ever worked on in my entire career. And uh, we uh, put together some really amazing analytics over a period of five days and uh, presented that back to the client. We then got hired to do their strategic plan because they liked the way we thought. Uh, That was uh, Brim Healthcare out in Oregon. And uh, that led to the jumping off point for healthcare data for me.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So from there, talk about some of some of those next moves. What what led to uh, the start of the companies?
1: Yeah. So uh, from there, I went up to Louisville to work for first research. uh, And then I was hired by my first uh, true hospital job at Jewish Hospital uh, doing data and strategic planning and then got hired by HCA. It was at HCA that I really got the bug for entrepreneurialism. Uh, And it was, I I used to tell people all the time I was an entrepreneur. Uh, Rick Scott gave me a pot of money and said, hey, go figure out this internet thing. The internet came on board in 95 uh, for whatever crazy reason. The research geek got, uh, I had a CompuServe account. So I guess that made me qualified um, to run the (laughs) internet strategy for HCA in 95 because they're, there weren't too many of us back then. And, and we really looked at the internet as a database to be researched and to interface with. And so we had a lot of luck out of the gate, build out, I don't know, 325 hospital websites in less than a year using Excel macros. It was really a fun time. And um, that, that just sort of made us hungry to do this over and over again. So whenever I left, uh, HCA started, uh, creating companies and all of them with a central theme around trying to help people improve their health outcomes while, while we reduce costs. Um, and I've, I've literally spent every day for the last 22 years trying to, trying to get that done. And I still have a long way to go. There
0: is a, well there's plenty of uh, plenty of room for improvement and plenty of necessity for that right now in our realm i mean it is, there i was a big emphasis of the conference i just came from was revenue cycle and everybody's looking for that little bit of extra right now in this uh in this economy and in the in the situation that healthcare finds itself so it is an important part of the equation for sure so the If we look at healthcare, you know, traditionally, one of the great clouds cast over healthcare is the slow pace of change. Uh, But we are in a rapidly changing landscape right now. And I'm guessing you've seen a dramatic difference in how the leadership of healthcare organizations understand and approach data over the last several years. Um, How would you characterize that change?
1: Um... Yeah. So I probably disagree a little bit with the pace of change. If, if you're working in healthcare today, uh, I mean, it is rapid fire, uh, the requirements that are being delivered, what is opening up around interoperability, what the federal government is driving, uh, to get people to understand what data is already available and what could be done with that. I think. What I see in healthcare today is, is really a chasm. Um, there are some significant players like, like an HCA here in Nashville. Um, they have a partnership with Google, and they are literally pushing the edge of the envelope in what they're doing in that regard. There are other providers, and, and unfortunately, they're more of the small independents and that's where i think healthcare gets its reputation is there are limited dollars in those communities and those facilities to adopt technology to innovate mm-hmm. and and that's what causes the slowness so i think there are people like a vanderbilt and others who are advanced in technology adoption and analytics and then there are others that don't have the resources in order to capitalize on on all the great uh, technology changes that are occurring right now.
0: So if you if you look at what's changed and and what are some of the core understandings that have been adopted over the last couple of years that you've where you've seen where some of the places where you were struggling to get th- things across and now is ubiquitous. What what are, what are have been some of those stones that have turned over?
1: Um, I think one area is machine learning. We have come a long way in this one category of being able to so build advanced models and operationalize those, like at uh, Perception Health that you mentioned and now at Huron, I've built 55 different disease models that do a fairly accurate job of predicting when someone is at risk of having a diagnosis for like a lung cancer. Um, To that point, one of our partners up in West Virginia, Mon Health, um, they've taken an active role in using this model with us. And to date we have about 811 patients' lives that have been impacted by this model. So um, those are some examples that I see where people are actually using advanced technologies in order to improve the health of their community and lower costs Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, The other area I'd probably mention is, is kind of around analytics. I think the majority, 85 plus percent of what I see in analytics today are base level descriptive statistics. Um, Many people have started to sort of move up this adoption curve from Mm -hmm. descriptive to statistics to diagnostic, sort of understanding the why. And then, of course, the predictive, which allows us to see into the future a little bit about what's about to happen. And then the next level will be prescriptive, which is kind of where Amazon has been already for a long time. Let's, Let's take books, for example. I order four books uh, that you can see on my bookshelves here. And everyone else in the country who's ordered those four books also buy the fifth book. And so Amazon's gonna prompt me to say, hey, do you want this book? And of course I'm gonna say yes, because it is, you know, right in line with the learning path that I'm on. And so wouldn't it be great if we could do the same thing in healthcare? So you're on this path to become diabetic. If I can get you to do this, this, and this, I can change that uh, curve on mm-hmm. your personal healthcare journey. Um, we did this up in Chicago with Cigna and Matter, um, where you were just at across the river. And yep. um, it had profound impacts. We showed evidence of about $4,000 per patient per year of cost savings by just re engineering the network of how they are delivering care to diabetics in that city.
0: That's amazing.
1: And so if you were to say,
0: well, looking at how that understanding is beginning to get traction, are you seeing more, I mean, people asking for the insights, like, are are, are they coming after it or are they having to be convinced to go get it? Like, how are you seeing that, um, that curve?
1: That is a a really good question. So once again, I think, uh, and and you're acutely aware of this more than probably anybody else, John, but the personas are what I find differentiating on analytics, what I would call pull versus push. Mm -hmm. Um, I have many executives who are convinced that the data is right and they just want the answer. Tell me the three physicians in my community I need to go talk to this afternoon that are going to significantly impact my revenue and the ability for me to continue to live out my mission. There are others, and I I won't name them, um, that (laughs) want to argue with the data instead of taking action when it's appropriate. And so that is a real struggle for uh, analysts, you know, especially in my firm. I've, I'm managing a little over 40 billion records. And so when I tell somebody, hey, I feel about 99% accurate on this, you know, <laughs> and then people want to go, well, I you're still missing that 1%. And I'm like, yep, okay. I'm not ever going to get over that one. Deal, deal with it.
0: <laughs> so,
1: yeah. And, and, and I don't know if it's a, it may be a human nature thing that I just haven't sort of done enough study and design around. But, you know, like um, I'm, I'm reminded of a quote from uh, Colin Powell where, you know, he said, look, if you get me to 80% knowledge on this subject, I'm going to make a decision to move forward. I don't have time or the luxury on the other 20%. I do think we have a lot of hospitals and healthcare systems that are, that are getting to that point where if, if they're going to wait for the last 20%, they're probably going to go out of business.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that is true. They've got to, they've got to push and then they've got to push toward it. Now, what, um, what are you seeing as far as the if you were to to wave a magic wand and say gosh if i could instill one piece of understanding surrounding data literacy to leaders of health systems that you know what's that is there a, is there a common thread or one thing that you and you, you kind of alluded to it <laughs> like part of it is we have data let's trust it right i mean let's let's look at it but if is there any other element or a, a shade there of misunderstanding or lack of uh, of knowledge that you see consistently that if you could change it it could make a big difference.
1: Um I always come back to taking action on the insights if individuals can look at the data figure out a strategy take an action they are way better off all the time uh from doing that. And so that becomes Yeah there's the, an
0: objective reality there that is just that some people don't want to embrace.
1: Well, and and you know, part of it is uh, the going back to the personas and where you are on a on an adoption curve, right? So, you know, we always have uh, the individuals who jump to the front of the line; they're willing to test anything and and they want to be leading on innovation. Um, there are the laggards uh, who are very invested in the status quo. And many times this technology, and we can talk a little bit about Gen AI if you want, um, these technologies are scary to the status quo because they're going to change their fundamental job. And so I I get that. Uh, But at the end of the day, for me, patient outcomes, reduced costs, outweighs our fear of losing our jobs, right? And so... Um, I I can sort of go through example after example of where I think these technologies are going to be disruptive. But what we have to do as healthcare executives is constantly challenge ourselves and use this data to make better decisions. And it's those decisions that then are going to lead us to success in our communities. And it's always about providing quality care to your community. If you ever lose sight of that, you know um, that's what gets me up and excited every day to come to work is, is trying to save a life.
0: So I'm gonna jump what I had listed in the order of questions I was gonna ask because it's what we're talking about right now. I, I know a common challenge in health tech is bridging the gap between what is technically possible and what healthcare professionals believe is possible or useful. And so looking at how marketing leaders, because that's who we're talking about here. Um, when, you are, w- when you have a solution that is presenting data insight, what can you do to effectively educate the target market on the potential and practical benefits of their data analytics solutions without overwhelming them with tech, tech jargon or whatever? What are some of the keys to helping them in? Because that you know, helping them know how to think is one of our biggest challenges with healthcare technology, helping people know how to turn the corner, how to see what's true in light of what's now possible.
1: Well, this this is truly, uh, over the last 20 months I've been living this, is uh, once again being an entrepreneur here at uh, Huron, of taking the base concept MVP pilot approach and uh, showing someone, here's what the data says, if you do change this one percent, let's take nurse recruitment, if I'm able to reduce your nurse quit rate by one percent, you know uh What's that working, worth <laughs> uh it's it's worth forty thousand dollars per nurse, yep, and so if I'm able to save you know two thousand nurses across a large organization you know, uh, that's, that's amazing, right? We improve the employees quality of life. Uh, we're able to reuse that money and patient care and other employee health benefits. Every dollar that you can save allows you to enrich the benefits of care to your community. And if you have that investment loop, which is what a lot of VCs and other people in healthcare services in Nashville have done for decades now is reuse that money to constantly improve the community. You know, then it's, it's just a home run all the time. So I, I always try to take one example and go all the way to the bottom, show what that looks like. And then that allows people to see the bigger picture and truly the art of what's possible.
0: What, yeah, one of the things that I keep hearing over and over, and you just underscored it from the things I keep hearing over and over from hospital leaders, health system leaders, talking to health tech companies is, you know, don't tell us what you can do. Tell us the value what you can do is going to end up bringing to me. I, I don't care about the technology. I don't care about what whiz bang things you can frame together to do XYZ. Start with what this is going to result in happening in my situation that you have done the research on and know and, and can come to me with some, di- some understanding about what you're doing and, and start there, you know, show me how that's going to work. I think that's an important underscore to keep in mind, uh, in, in yeah. anything we're doing, start with the value equation.
1: And I ask the same thing for my vendors every day, right? So it's the same thing we should all be asking whether we're the CEO or, or we're a managing director in a, in a consulting firm buying technology, is the ROI. Help me quantify it. How many hours am I going to save? Because time is money in our business for sure. And probably likely everyone else listening to this podcast. And then the other thing is, show me how it's going to advance my business. I want to see our people incre- increase their productivity. Yeah. I want to see them be more happy. I want to create some space. Um, we're we're trying an initiative in my group right now of carving out 5% of our time to focus on innovation. So take Friday afternoon or Tuesday morning, write some new code. It has nothing to do with your job. Go do something else. Go pull down a data set, analyze it. You know, that that muscle memory is... Is is worth its weight in gold.
0: That's a great, great underscore. Um, I know that health tech companies often face challenges integrating new data driven solutions into their existing healthcare infrastructure. It's it's always a challenge. Uh, from from your experience, what are the some of the key factors that health tech companies, the vendors, need to know and c- make sure they're considering when they're promoting their integration capabilities? What do, they, what do they need to hold forward there?
1: Well, uh, there's a very large one that's very closed. It's extremely difficult uh, to drive value alongside of them. Um, there are other vendors who are also large who have <laughs> open marketplaces and they, I you're believe- not gonna, You're I, not gonna name names for us, Todd? Not publicly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: catch catch me at any uh nashville healthcare happy hour and i'm sure I'll <laughs> after quiet, a drink sorry. or two we're going to be slamming some but bend- yeah
1: <laughs> no it's just it's it's uh and and we see this in other areas of software as well where there's a ecosystem at play between the hospitals the emrs and all of the other wraparounds that have to be there in order for us to deliver patient care to our community right and so we should all be working together to find the best of what solutions are out there to do that and interoperability is driving that interface engines you know Uh, here in town, a company like Trenesis is doing a lot to open up those channels. And so I I do think that's the key to our future success, is that um, the data is in transport. And so I used to use a term at HCA all the time called bit streaming, whereby I had a Silicon Graphics, I'm gonna take you guys back a few years in history, I had this machine that basically just took a feed every day of all the transactions going on across 325 hospitals. Well, I knew where infectious diseases were breaking out way before the CDC. And so each day I could go look and see everything going on across the country. It's, it's that sort of analytic that is transformational where you can go and take an action based on what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. And now I would tell you like fast forward 25 years, it's more real time, right? And so how do we operate in this ecosystem of open and closed systems in order to help people fully utilize the analytic? And to get there, everyone has to be data fluent. We also have to be very security conscious. Um, we have to know what we're doing with the data because the first rule in healthcare analytics is do no harm, right? And so those are those are paramount to having a successful program, I think, in the future.
0: so uh, that leads right into a question I was going to ask in, in relation to data privacy and security. Huge concerns. When, when you're a health tech company that's touching somebody's data that is working with the extraction of data, however, it's, uh, moving, what do we ma- what do marketing leaders need to make sure they're saying, you know, what needs to be in the messaging in, that will help ensure trust and credibility in the eyes of perspectives?
1: Well, great question. It's, it's number one for me, almost every single day. Um, first of all, you gotta follow best practices. Um, you need to understand the concept of expert determination and what is HIPAA and what is not HIPAA. Um, you need to have as close to bulletproof systems as you can have. Um, even with all of the technology that exists, the number one problem is always the humans. And so somebody saves a file, puts it on a flash drive. Um, drops the flash drive on the uh, commuter train going to work or leaves it at uh, Dunkin' Donuts, all of a sudden you've got a breach and bad things are happening, right? And so um, I think training and education is number one, and then having the technology as as bulletproof as you can get. So um, many organizations, I think, have gotten very astute at this point, John. Of being able to um, have a security questionnaire that identifies where there are risks and what's happening with their data, and then also carrying. So you're talking about that. on the
0: buyer side, they're 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 interviewing their vendors, saying what's what are your what are your things?
1: Yes. Now, what I would like to see us evolve to, uh, and we we tried an initiative about a decade ago, and. Unfortunately, it didn't really uh, get off the ground. But what I'd like to see is a body that would help credential health tech companies so that I can answer an annual survey, actually have people come in and do an audit of my processes and and be certified and then use that certification to go and say, you know, I've got this, I've got this. Today, we have SOC 2, we have high, high Trust, and things like that. But... I, I think the industry needs to go beyond some yep. of that. And uh, that would be one opportunity for some other great entrepreneur to go build. What
0: are, what are some of the things on those checklists like that you mentioned? there There's some things that some of the organizations are drilling into. What are some of those, those questions that you're seeing being asked that are on, on some of those profiles?
1: Yeah, it's um, where is the data going to be housed? You know, with um, with many people leaving secure data centers and going to the cloud, it's important to make sure that the cloud infrastructure on is is certified and it does meet the uh, standards. Um, and you know, if you're dealing with any type of federal government or state government you may need to be FedRAMP certified in order to provide an application that'll be doing analytics on the data itself. And then I would say the other main thing that um, is is involved in these surveys is a chain of command. So Mm -hmm. who has command of that data at which point, and then uh, what that responsibility for that chain of command is who's touching the data, what analytics are you running on it? Because at the end of the day, right, all of us want to get to a point where we can do the analytics and we want to do it in a de-identified way. Uh, It's not important for me to know that Todd Featherling is the person behind this record, but what is important for me to know is that Todd Featherling's had a history of X, Y, and Z. When we see somebody going back to the Amazon's uh, discussion, this person has X, Y, and Z. They are likely to have A next, and let's help that person get there faster, instead of having them fumble through the darkness of the healthcare system today.
0: Yeah, um, the horizon right now has got a you know. There's a lot leaning heavily on predictive analytics, as you mentioned just a little bit ago. Um, it's moving, uh, you know, predictive, moving to a prescriptive, what are, what are some of your, from your vantage point, what are the emerging trends in data analytics that health tech companies need to be considering as they continue to innovate? What are some of the things that they just need to have in their, in their windshield as they're moving forward?
1: Um, so I'm going to walk you through what I think is the continuum of next generation. So feel free to disagree or, or agree, uh, and maybe the audience can give us some great feedback on this. So um, Where I think we are today is first and foremost, what I call supervised machine learning. I am building a model to determine X outcome. I have enough data that points me in a regression analysis to have a high degree of accuracy on predicting that outcome. Um, Whether that's financial performance, quality care performance, uh, community, uh, like overall community consumption of resources, which is something I'm working on right now. Fascinating, fascinating work. And so the supervised machine learning is something that any health tech company Mm -hmm. needs to have some skill level in. The second would be unsupervised machine learning. Um, This is where I'm just going to drop large data sets, let the machines come back and tell me what they find. I don't even know what I'm looking for, right? And and that leads us into generative AI, because where I think we're going to be very quickly, if we're not technically already there, which we probably are, is the ability to interface with the data. And so I'm a CEO of a of a hospital. I have a, what is quote unquote, a dashboard about my community and what's going on. I can now start to interact with that data. I can ask questions in a natural language and I have processes on the backside that convert all of my... Uh, knowledge base from medical coding, revenue cycle, financial operations, my debt, my buildings. I've got all of that in an ability to ask questions now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will uh, open up untold opportunities. At the same time, it's going to get rid of a lot of jobs. And so as a result, we need to be thinking today of how to Transform those employees to be innovators and thinkers. And I may have to retrain some of those people in new skill sets across my community that, that I didn't need two years ago, but I need them now. And you're going to hear terms like prompt engineers. Sure. Right? These are the people who are going to learn how to use this generative AI technology and um, be able to make these data sets return the information that they're looking for. I
0: know companies that are already hiring prompt engineers. It's happened incredibly quickly, and it's only going to that pace of of change is only going to increase. Yeah. And, and, you know, I am very aware that I've been I've sat in a number of rooms where leaders of health tech companies are really concerned about using any language around replacing people. And what I'm, what I'm becoming increasingly convinced of and hearing the challenges that a lot of, of organizations are facing right now, it's, it really is about the retraining of people. And so, because they can't get enough people you know, to solve the problems right. that they're sitting in front of across the board. It's not just nursing and clinical staff that they're lacking. It's people in the information, technology, information management universe we're gonna to have. To, uh, they don't have enough of them. They can't solve all the problems they have as it sits. And the technology is gonna start making some of the functions not pertinent. So let's figure out how to quickly transition them into meaning making in other positions. I think that that's an important piece.
1: Yeah, and healthcare and IT are number one, number two, according to Bureau Labor Statistics over the next eight years. So, I I mean, you you've heard me preach on this probably the last decade is much as anybody in the country, like, I need health analysts like nobody's business. And, you know, we've worked with Belmont and and Vanderbilt and others here in this community to really grow the workforce, to be intelligent, to be flexible, to grow into these new jobs that are occurring. Because to your point, every time you push on the balloon, yep. technology is always pushing. it. Something else is going to, happen as a result of that and we have to have the ability and the vision to see what that future is going to be and get those get those employees there faster.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's an opportunity too for health tech companies who are doing something that is displacing somebody in some realm to help understand what is the need that this is going to open up or what is the need that this is going to create or what is the opportunity this is going to mean for somebody who can help make meaning out of what's coming out of this solution, not just what it's going to replace, but what it opens up. Um, I think that that's an opportunity in how you position things, how you talk about things, how you help an organization uh, adopt and use your solution. Uh, I think that's a a major opportunity in there.
1: One of the things yeah, I would, I would say um, to add on to that, like, Let's, let's create a new title called friction reducer, right? And uh, let's have that person go into the community and reduce all the friction between the patient and the providers, the patient and the payer, right? Um, there is untold opportunities to help people get to better care at the right point in time. And so once again, there's a whole new generation of problems to be solved. And so we're, we're not lacking problems in healthcare by any stretch of the imagination, but we are lacking creative talent who can use technology, processes, and people to go solve those problems. Yep,
0: absolutely. Um, tell us, one of the things I failed to ask at the front of this is, tell us a little bit about Huron and what Huron's doing, what you're doing there, um, and how, what people should know
1: about your organization. Yeah, Huron is a uh, global consultancy. Um, What most people don't know, especially all of us who uh, came from healthcare, is they're also deeply seated into the education market. Um, Top 100 research institutions use our software every day. Um, I'm on the global product side. We have a digital overlay that is helping organizations uh, implement Oracle and Workday and tools like that to help the operational efficiency of their organizations. And so um, Huron's a global company, publicly traded, H-U-R-N is the stock symbol. Um, and I say this tongue in cheek, so don't take me out of context, but um, the stock price has nearly doubled Uh, since they acquired Perception Health. So that's a really good thing. Um, And so... (laughs) That's um, that's a good bragger. (laughs) um, We've had significant growth uh, over the last uh, two years and more growth forecasted. Uh, Very exciting. Uh, I think today we're a little over 4,500, maybe 5,000 employees now. And uh, building new technologies every day to reduce all that friction. Like it's It's amazing how many more opportunities there are in revenue cycle in care transformation um, been on multiple calls today where we've been talking about people transformation so uh like like we just said, there are a lot of problems to be solved uh and and we help you know thousands of organizations across the globe do that
0: so ooh. You're touching on it here. What are some of the strategies and business models in healthcare that you're going to see, that we're going to see some major pivots happen in the next couple of years?
1: Um, I just taught a healthcare economics class two weeks ago, and I put some numbers in and people were shocked uh, at what the numbers are saying. So I think one fundamental uh, transformation and a big opportunity is around private pay, personal pay. Uh, that number has grown to 10.5% of the healthcare spend of $4 trillion. Yep. And so that's a big that's number, a big right? big deductibles that's... will do. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a whole opportunity, right, for what I would call the new generation, right? So if I was getting out of college today, I would want my parents to put $1,000 into a health savings account, and I'll put $100 a month in for the rest of my life. Well, if I lead a healthy life, I'm going to be a millionaire off of that one investment strategy by the time I retire. Not to mention my 401k and other things. And so we as a country don't know how to think like that. And 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 we would always have the funding for the out-of-pocket expenses, which are going to continue to grow. I think number two that I see is uh, self-insured businesses and brokers are going to take a more proactive role. At trying to rationalize healthcare. So there are direct contracting vehicles today, there are value-based care components today, where I can go at risk and I can give a provider all my hearts and all my babies. I'm gonna pay a flat rate and per employee. And both sides win. The hospital actually makes a better margin. The employer reduces their cost. I did some of this at Perception Health with a captive plan. We reduced our costs eighty percent in the first year. One Digital, which was recently sold as well, um, became our partner in helping me manage my employee health costs. And so I paid one hundred percent of the premiums for the employees. It was a radical concept, but you know we all won in in that uh, opportunity by working together as employee, as employer, and as a payer network and a provider network. And so I think that is gonna be a fundamental shift that is going to occur that that I see. There's other things that are a little more obvious, Uh, pharmaceutical therapeutics continuing to grow in expenditure and also our expectations Mm -hmm. of what those drugs are gonna deliver look no further than obesity and what's uh, rolled out on the market in the last 18 months. Uh, it's having a profound impact on people's lives. And, you know, that's, that's what it's there for, right? And so when people talk about sometimes innovation in healthcare, I'm like, hey, there's radical innovation going on, uh, depending on where you look. Uh, there's innovation going on in imaging today. Uh, what we can do in imaging, like, blows my mind and what we can see down to the cellular level, the genetics level. Is, is mind-blowing, pharmaceuticals and therapies are being innovated on every single day. So it, it, you really have to put innovation and technology into context as to what problem you're actually working, working to, to solve. To solve. Yep.
0: What Yep. Uh, if, if you uh, had gas in the tank and, had, and wanted to go start another company right now in the healthcare world,
1: what would you go do? What's the problem you well, would wanna try uh, and solve? That. here on leadership is very excited that my wife has said no more startups after <laughs> uh after after five That's startups why I over said the if last you had 22. gas in the
0: tank because you've done a, you've been there done uh, that a few times
1: yeah but you know like i said uh, the one of the fun things about my job today is i i do get to be a, a bit of an entrepreneur uh if i see an opportunity i can request investment and go build out that solution um good news is i have 2,500 hospital clients. I can go to them and say, anybody interested we did in this? piloting? Yeah. yeah. And, and always somebody's like, oh, I'll go do that with you guys. I have a specific problem and you can help me solve that. Um, so what are the things that I would go do if I was out there? Um, I'd probably create some kind of self-pay finance model. Uh, and I think I can make a whole lot of money for that. Um, I called Jeff Bezos one day and told him I'd like to turn Prime into a captive health plan. He he didn't think that was possible at the time, so maybe i have to call him back and see if now's a better time. Um, because I think, I, I really, I don't say that tongue in cheek. Um, I think they could create a purchasing ecosystem around healthcare where I could um, uh, sort of Get a physician office visit, get my dentistry. I could get all my basic concepts done for a couple hundred bucks a month, right? For my whole family. And the power of having a hundred million consumers give you $200 a month. That's not bad. I, I can buy a lot of healthcare for that. <laughs> so, um, so those are the things that I, I always kind of think about and, and try to figure out you know, how to go do that. I think the other thing is more related to jumping on the transparency bandwagon. Um, We have dabbled in this uh, at Perception and Huron on creating an algorithm to allow people to understand the difference of services by hospitals and by physicians, looking at quality care and components like that. Um, I usually use volumes and outcomes and access. Uh, that triple lane sort of thing, and we've created an al- algorithm that, in uh, an acronym, VOCAL, volumes, outcomes, charges, access, and loyalty, as a way to really understand uh, high-performance providers in a certain disease state. And so the other thing that hasn't changed in my 25 years since I was at HCA is Three things drive satisfaction with healthcare nurse communication, physician communication, and high-tech capabilities in the services I need today. Mm-hmm. And so I think um we have to get better at understanding what that consumer is looking for <laughs> from us and and actually deliver yeah, on it. That's
0: that's that's a great telltale. And- I don't know that I would have uh, put it in that order, but that makes sense. And I think that that would be, I think I would, I think I would follow that. You know, I think that, that, might, yeah. that if I were to ask my, if you were to ask me, that might be something similar to how I would answer it. That's interesting.
1: Um, yeah, the other, the other thing I would do is I'd probably go to DC and be a pain in the butt and be an advocate uh, because out of all the stuff we do in healthcare, we never ask the most important question. Did the patient get better? Right? Go look through all the HCAP surveys, wish, the HEATA surveys, the statistics. Medicare stars. Yeah. No one asks the most important question. Did you get better? Can you walk without pain? Can you run now after you got your knee joint replaced? After spine surgery, I can sleep at night, right? It, it blows my mind, like, how unsophisticated we are about the patient, the human condition.
0: Yeah yeah it it comes down to a lot of financial equations and not as much uh not as much care as there needs to be but I, you've been stewing in this for for three decades Todd and you've been wrestling a lot of the uh the challenges and and working to educate people if you were to look at what's giving you hope right now for where we are what what's the uh what's the star on the horizon from your perspective as you are are looking out there what what's what's bringing you some hope and what uh, and that might bring us to the place we need to be
1: um i think today the work that we're doing in care transformation care progression and really truly understanding the continuum of care gives me the greatest hope because i think we are getting closer to a position of being able to provide the right type of care at the right time at the right place of service mm-hmm. um Those three components, when they work well together in a community, it's amazing. Uh, And so we're getting closer and closer to figuring that thing out. I would actually say that's one of the positive outputs of COVID is it forced brand new partnerships to occur that that weren't there. Yeah, we have to get more efficient in how we're bringing in the cross. And
0: that means at the end of the day... More effective care right I mean it has to it has to translate out into that otherwise we're <laughs> it's all going to go backwards, so that's good right. Todd. Thank you for uh for joining us today. If our listeners are wanting to learn more about your work right now at huron where's the best place to uh, for them to go or to get exposed to that
1: um go to the uh probably LinkedIn and follow Huron. Uh, I'm featherling on LinkedIn. It's good to have a really weird last name, when I'm spelled to spell because you know, it's not how you <laughs> might expect to spell it. Yeah. So no way F E T H E R L I N G. And then, uh, pretty active on the socials as well. Under J Todd work on Twitter, Yahoo, probably back to AOL, you know, so, uh, <laughs> lots of different ways to find me, but J Todd work is, uh, Pretty prominent out there. Awesome, thanks. And for those
0: of you who are listening, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and subscribe to our podcast. Your feedback really is important to us and uh, we're always eager to hear your suggestions for future topics. And for additional information about this episode and to explore more about our podcast, visit us at our website at goratio.com. Todd, uh, parting shot here. What's, uh, What's on your bookshelf right now? What are you reading? Uh, let's see here.
1: i uh, got to look for one here. I usually have a whole stack. Oh, um, and it's going to be boring. So it's the <laughs> elements of style. Oh, well, there you go. A classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Trying to, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to communicate analytics uh, and that storytelling and doing it in the right manner and. You of all people know that words matter. They do matter and it is important. And when we're
0: bringing, you know, the thing to keep in mind in the, in all of this is when we are trying to communicate technology, at the end of the day, we are people talking to people and and we have to help people into an understanding of what is going to happen. How do they need to think about things differently that will allow them to change? Because no, change is not an easy thing for any of us. Yeah. and how we bring, how we tell that story, how we bring it across. It can't be with the new, latest, greatest whiz bang, bang thing. It has to start where they are and lead them to where they want to go, but they don't understand they want to go yet. And that takes a story. It really does. You got to be careful in how you tell it.
1: Yeah. And I would, uh, I would add on to that. What I have found in analytics, believe it or not, you have to tell the story three times. Um, there, there's an initial reaction to the data. Well, this can't be right. I've never seen this before. Come back and tell it the second time. They've tested you on a couple of things already and they're like, you're right about that. And that's interesting. So what else can you tell me? The third time you show up, it's like, okay, we're good. Let's, let's move on to the action, right? And that may be frustrating to people in analytics, but I will tell you if, if you're not at least telling the story three times, you're, you're going to lose yep. your audience along the yep. way.
0: And few have patience to do it. And it's and really, it's a, it's a critical <laughs> thing. It really is. J. Todd Featherling, thank you for joining us at Healthcare Market Matrix. And folks, until next time, we stay healthy and we'll see you soon. Healthcare Market Matrix is a ratio original podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then jump over to healthcaremarketmatrix.com and subscribe. And we'd really appreciate your support in the form of a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It does make a difference also while you're there you can become a part of the healthcare market matrix community and get access to courses and content that's created just for you by signing up for insights squared a monthly newsletter dedicated to bringing you the latest health tech marketing insights right to your inbox ratio is an award-winning marketing agency headquartered in the nashville tennessee we operate at the intersection of brand and growth marketing to equip companies with strategies to create meaningful connections with the healthcare market and ultimately drive growth. Want to know more? Go to goratio.com. That's G-O-R-A-T-I-O.com. And we'll see you at noon central next week for an all new episode from our team at Ratio Studios. Stay healthy.